The future of health coaching. Opportunity, action, impact. Brought to you by Teleosis Institute, coaching and narrative healing. Welcome to the Future of Health Coaching Summit. I'm Reggie Mara, Creative Director at Teleosis Institute. And on behalf of our Executive Director, Dr. Joel Kreisberg, and myself, thank you for joining us for this conversation entitled, Who's Stopping You? How Your Hidden Inner Selves Hijack Happiness and Sabotage Success and How to Transform Them into Powerful Allies. I'm happy to introduce today's guest, Bridget Dangle Gaspard, whom I've known for over a decade and who is both a trusted colleague and a good friend. Bridget is founder of New York City Inner Voice Dialogue and both a senior practitioner and professional trainer of voice dialogue. She's a licensed clinical social worker with certifications in dialectical behavioral therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy. She's presented her work for Omega Institute, the New York Open Center, the New York University Behavioral Health Center, the Columbia University School of Social Works Alumni Association, and the New York City chapter of the International Coach Federation. Our conversation today is based on the working title of her forthcoming book, which focuses on those of us who work hard toward a goal and find ourselves inexplicitly stuck with the finish line in sight. Welcome, Bridget. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to see you. Mm -hmm. So uh, I have a, a lot of questions to ask you, and um, but the one that really speaks to me addresses something that I've heard you say in the past, and you gave me a little bit of background that um, there's a, a now deceased English writer and philosopher named Colin Wilson. Mm -hmm. um, and he asked the question, why not choose optimism over pessimism? And I've heard, and that's a great question, but I've heard you say the following quote, live as if any moment you can get the absurd good news. Mm. And that seems to resonate so intensely throughout your work and your life as I, as I know you. So could you speak a little bit to both why that message resonates in your life and how you use that in your work with clients? Absolutely. I stumbled upon it re just by chance uh, or synchronicity, you might want to say. And basically, one of his premises is how come existentialism and nihilism make pessimism the more, have more intellectual heft? And he actually was about to commit suicide when he was a teenager. He had the beaker of poison and he was about to drink it and he said he got this flash like wait a minute why not choose optimism mm -hmm. and that started his whole life's chart i mean his life's path went absolutely differently because he got that insight and he put down the beaker and he was not suicidal again and and i just think there's so much power to that and there's so much negativity and truly awful things happening but why not choose optimism and if you look around it is everywhere and i just think it's a great motivator but also it's the right paradigm great yeah so so i love that and and something that just came up as you as you shared that and i again you and i have sat in council together we've done mm -hmm. shadow work together so I know in hearing you say that, that you're in no way denying shadow and that there is darkness. But exactly. it's a choice we get to make in any moment. Um, choosing pessimism or optimism, it makes sense for a variety of good reasons. 
to choose optimism. Exactly. In other words, you could say, say from a vision quest world point of view, your gift, your, your wound becomes your gift. Yeah. And that doesn't mean there isn't pain to get there. In fact, there, there must be pain to get there. You know, in terms of coaching, coaching equals change and change involves pain and distress. And you do it because you've got this goal that's worthy. And so I put, thanks for that question, because I do put optimism like uh, as an umbrella that includes pain and everything else that's part of life experience. It's not a tool for denial. It's a life force that you can get access to. Yeah, yeah great. A life force that you can get access to. I'm going to steal that for sure. Thanks for that. <laughs> so so sure. the, what I'd like to do is connect the dot then from this um, leaning toward optimism. And to uh, I'd, lo I'd love for you to speak a little bit to, number one, how you were drawn to voice dialogue or what you're now calling inner voice dialogues. I know you actually trained with Hal and Sidra Stone, yes. um, the, the founders of that, that process. Um, and I'm not sh sure that everyone on this call will know, even know what voice dialogue is, is. So if you could speak a little bit to what it is and how, how and why you were drawn to it, that'd be a great um, departure point for us to you know, get further into the, the, the nuts and bolts of the topic, you know, what's stopping you or who's stopping you now? Absolutely. So again, synchronicity, I was reading John Bradshaw's book, Healing the Shame That Binds You, which is an amazing book. And at, towards the end, he outlines different modalities just to say these wonderful healing modalities exist. And voice dialogue was featured as part of that. And Hal and Sidra Stone developed voice dialogue, which is based on the premise that our healthy personality consists of many different inner selves. And then voice dialogue is the way to facilitate one self and then another self. And the idea is that you start in the center and you grow a more aware ego so that it's, so no self has to convince another self of anything. It's so the good girl does not ever have to convince the bad girl to turn good. No, I have an inner good girl and I totally have an inner bad girl. And so here, me and center, I can access both of them and I get a more aware ego. So if I'm out and about on the town and I want some of my bad girl energy, I bring it in. But if I'm visiting some fragile relative in the hospital, I might very much want to tone it down and be a good girl in the sense of uh, being having nice energy that's quiet and healing. So the other thing I loved about voice dialogue is that it's non-judgmental and that the, the overarching goal is quite simple, more conscious choice. So I read about this and I, at the time, was a performer. I was a, an actress in a stand-up comedy, comic, sorry. And I, um, I thought, oh my goodness, this is a tool that's just going to help me access all kinds of creative energies, which I wanted to do at that time in the service of acting and performing and also being inspired to write comedy. And I went and hunted down Hal and Sidra Stone, who I am blessed to say are still my mentors and very much in connection with them. And I studied with them. And the more I studied and the more I got facilitated in voice dialogue, in other words, the more I learned about my different selves, and I was around people that I saw incredible healing. And 
I started to shift, like, I want to know more about how this healing modality works and how healing works in general and how to, how creativity and access to it is one of the keys to feeling better, whether you're actually talking about depression itself or just the malaise that comes with not completing the goals that are important to you. So then I just became a full-time studier of voice dialogue and I decided to make myself legal and I went and got a master's in social work from Columbia University and that's where I got the more classic training of dialectical behavior therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy. And so my work now really incorporates what you might call this concrete work on the ground, vision quest work, which we of course have shared. And, um, and then the voice dialogue, uh, which is also about archetypes, dream work, which we won't get too much into that today, but it's just a fully encompassing tool. And that's the other thing that I love. I could use it to decide what do I want to serve for my dinner party or literally what's the next best right direction for my life right now. Great. Yeah. Th thank you for that, that response. So I'm going to try, I'm going to reduce everything you just said. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I need that. Um, and so would it be fair to say then as a real, you know, superficial overview that captures some of the essence though, that an emergence in, in with voice dialogue allows us to recognize that there are these multiple voices, these sub-personalities, and it's not about choosing one or the other or favoring one or the other, but when any one of them either emerges or when we choose to call on him or her, um, it's a tool for moving our life forward in a healing Mm -hmm. healthy way as opposed to letting any one of them control us or thinking that we're bad or even self-aggrandizing that we're really, really, really better than we actually are. So it's a recognition of this multiplicity and versatility as opposed to a, um, a getting stuck in any one of the sub-personalities. Is that a fair? Yes, and thank you for that. Another big part is also it makes you feel so expansive. In other words, you think you're a certain set of selves. You don't, you're like, oh, that's just me. And the other thing you realize, wow, I am so much more than I ever thought. Yeah, yeah well, that's, that's, uh, that's really important because um, it's easy to look at in a kind of a more pessimistic way since we're talking in that language. Yeah, exactly. Well, so I have all these subpersonalities that aren't that much fun to hang out with. So that contracts me and I'm, yes. I'm not very good. But the other side of that is look at the, the wealth and the breadth and the depth of what I have inside of me, and I'm more expansive than I ever imagined. So that's, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. yeah thanks. So, so what I'd like to do then is just really begin to zero in on the, you know, the topic, which is, again, the, the, the working title for the book, Who's Stopping You? Um, and I'm just going to say the subtitle again because I love it. <laughs> how your hidden inner selves hijack happiness and sabotage success and how to transform them into powerful allies. Now you sent me something uh, and I just want to, I'm going to read this part because I think it's a great um, jumping off point for us. Uh, but, um, many people that you've worked with, and I, I'm going to guess that perhaps even yourself. And mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I know for a fact myself, that we set goals and we move towards them, we make some progress and we take two steps forward and one step back and we're getting there and we're getting there. And you've come to 
I won't say a conclusion, but you've, you've come to a point where you recognize that many of us get about seven eighths of the way toward the goal. And then the final eighth just stops us just dead in our tracks. And um, you basically set, wrote this, um, that a secret of accomplishing a blocked goal is realizing that, and this is a quote now, not all of you wants what you think you want. So can now that makes sense to me in light of what we've just said about voice right. dialogue. But can you unpack that a little bit more? The seven eighths, the one eighth, and not not all of me wants what I think I right. want. Right, absolutely. And it was because when I I am happy to say I have this thriving private practice full of really talented, dedicated people, and over and over I it it like presented itself to me like what's going on because it's not anything that they're doing they are taking the steps they are smart they if they went and got training they are they're walking the walk and then they would so a lot of accomplishment would happen the seven eighths part and then it's the classic the last five pounds not being lost the 20 pound goal the having a publisher say, please send me the book that you are writing. I'm interested in reading it, but it never gets to the publisher, even though it's really well written. Things like that. And I began to realize this is an inside job. And so these clients would come to me for voice dialogue for varying reasons, including maybe even working on the project in terms of what selves, say, are writing the book and what selves are scared about the book. And so our sessions would talk about different parts of oneself. Um, and then I realized not every self wants the goal. In fact, just the opposite, that, that mysterious gravitational pull toward procrastination when you literally can see the, uh, the finish line right in front of you is often a self. So I'd say, well, let's go to that gravitational um, force and the, self, the Client would say, okay. So we would go to that force and maybe the, you could see energetically that hunger down. And often these parts were very, what we call primitive or primal. They came early in their life and they're like, nope, it's not going to happen. Now with voice dialogue, it's non-judgmental. And I want to hear what that self has to say. I'm not interested in, as a facilitator of that self, I don't have an agenda. I'm like, really, tell me more. And I'm not playing a game. I want to hear more because the truth is that gravitational force is winning, right? You're not getting to your goal. So there's no arguing with this person. Let's find out more. Let's, let's, this person's an ally because all of ourselves, all of our sub-personalities are designed to protect our vulnerability. That's why they were created because we humans are born vulnerable. And of course, we always are vulnerable. So each self, no matter how dysfunctional it might look on the outside, is protecting the individual from its point of view. So you want to find out what's that point of view. So this gravitational pull self might say something like, let's say the last five pounds. I'm not letting her lose that last five pounds. And I might say, why? What's going on? Because she doesn't know how to handle the attention that's going to come her way. Okay. And I'm like, oh, tell me more. And maybe this self will say something like, and besides, she doesn't deserve loving attention. And you're like, wow, okay. Talk about shadow. This self may very well be a shadow, but I don't treat shadow cells differently than I treat prim primary, more upbeat cells. Every self has value. 
and um, like, you know, tell me more. So we, we learn more from the cells point of view. I will never say, hey, gravitational pull, can you lighten up? No, that's gravitational pull. When we're done, we go back to center because again, voice dialogue really empowers the individual. And often that person might end up having deep emotions like, wow, that's, that's, that's true. I have trouble saying no. So now instead of saying, well, let's double down on how to diet better for those last five pounds, we're really talking about a lifestyle change. Okay. So we might spend a little bit of time and by that a few weeks, how do you learn to say no when you want to say no? Now, who would have thought you have to learn how to say no, what parts of you need to get stronger about saying no, making a boundary in order for those last five pounds to be lost. So there's a whole other aspect I'll get into later, but that's my long answer that you hopefully will synopsize for me. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so it's, it's I, I really want to zero in on the idea that once we begin as a facilitator, as a therapist, as a coach, um, to engage in the dialogue with with the self that seems to be um, the subpersonality that seems to be getting in the way of those last five pounds being lost. Um, and I love that you know the specific example um, because she won't be able to handle all the attention that she might get if she looks that good, you know, losing that last five pounds or whatever the case may be. Um, that we're not trying to argue with the self who's with the subpersonality who's trying to keep the whole individual safe exactly protect her exactly um, but we're instead as as the title inner voice dialogue implies or it doesn't imply it it says it quite explicitly <laughs> um we're engaging in dialogue with that yes. better understand it and then perhaps find a way where so well, i don't want to i'm not sure about this next step so maybe you can fill it in sure. um we're not so will we try to convince no so that, but, so oh, how will we then engage with that subpersonality in a way that it might allow the client to find a way to lose a five pounds right thank you for that so no i i interrupted your question because i felt like i understood it so um that's fine <laughs> okay um so so you you take each self has a wisdom so in the example i just gave the wisdom from that self was this lack of ability to make boundaries that are very important for safety so how you would deal with it is honor that that self is correct and so often what happens is that when the thing that that part that subpersonality is worried about is dealt with like say this client gets better at boundaries, that self is often fine because what that self really cares about is her ability to protect herself. Doesn't care about the five pounds or not five pounds. It's just playing out in that arena. And it's a way to get attention. So me, not aware that all parts of myself are, are, aren't against, are, are, are not for the goal, then I become aware like, oh, that part is making itself known in the final eighth because that's where it's that's the arena it's playing out because i care about that arena because i'm i'm a client that i come in to for health coaching or any kind of coaching because i'm caring about something that i'm having trouble with and that's where coaches are there to say okay you care about this but for me when i and a lot of uh, coaches take my training i'm like it's really hard because you want to honor the goal but you have to honor the resistance and not say okay let's kill this resistance no 
What does the resistance care about? What does this gravitational force care about? In this case, boundaries. So once you say, okay, I'm going to get better at boundaries, and you really do, that self is like, fine, I don't care about the five pounds, go for it. I care about the boundaries. Yeah, beautiful. So I, I love that you brought up the word resistance there because um, both in my own coaching practice, in my own coaching training, when I was trained, um, and in the teaching that I do, uh, one of the keys uh, that we speak about is resistance is not that anything is wrong. Uh, it's right. a natural part of, of any change process. Yeah. Because we don't, you know, we resist change. And learning how to, to work with resistance is a big part of that. So I, I really appreciate that you address that. And once we understand resistance, it kind of relaxes. Good word. Literally, you can see it when I work with clients. I'm like the whole body, the whole face. And when you relax, then even your approach your uh, relax is like, oh, I could approach this a different way. Oh, I could approach it any number of ways. Where before it was like, no, I have to do it this way and it's not working. Yeah. Yeah. So a question that's a, it's slightly tangential, but I think it's important, especially because a, a, uh, an underlying theme throughout the summit is the importance of narrative. Mm. It's not, again, that's not the only theme, but it's, but it appears in a variety of places. And there are some uh, coaches who have been taught um, that, you know, basically therapy gets into the past and tries to figure that out so the present can be better and coaching um, gets into the present and figures that out in order to move forward and make the future better. And both of those are kind of truish, but yes. they're gross oversimplifications. Um, but some coaches have, have gotten the idea that they don't really care about the client's story mm. um, as long as they set a goal and move forward towards the goal. Uh, now, as a poet and a writer and someone who loves narrative, I, I don't particularly subscribe to that perspective because I think in the absence of story, um, I don't know that there's too much left. Um, that's my bias. So can, can you speak a little bit about um, how you hold the idea of a client's story, whether it's past, present, or aspiring toward the future, and how that plays in with the subpersonalities? I love this because it actually it's a perfect way to segue into the second part of my um, system in terms of the final eighth and how to help. So I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, again, story is how we got to this very minute. And coaching and therapy, whichever combination of things, helps you change your story. But if you think you can literally jump over a moat and pretend that old story of yours never existed, your inner selves are just not going to let you do that. So I'm with you because story is just extraordinary and why I run away from it. And I'm a believer optimistically that your old story, you're not stuck with. You can change your story and you can change your story many times in a lifetime. And, and that's a pleasure to do. Sure. So sometimes I look at what you just said that, yes, we don't have to go digging deep into the past for 20 years. However, if you're stuck, say, for example, that stuckness is part of your old story. So you have to figure out where is the at least aspects of your old story living this very minute um, when you're making this choice about, say, this food item, um, someone who maybe has ice cream late at night and doesn't know why she does it, but that's part of her way of not losing that final five pounds. That may be an inner child seeking comfort. 
and the ice cream just feels so good. Maybe it's even kind of remembers the nice times with grandma who's long gone, who she loved. So, so some of these habits are very much connected to old story and they need to be uncovered. Now, some of that old story for many clients is quite painful and that's where they got told negative things about themselves. And they may not remember the specifics in the current events, but what they're operating on is some core negative beliefs. And that's where my cognitive behavioral therapy comes in, where I've really learned the power of core negative beliefs, which is old story. But say, for example, we take this resistance one I talked about, that's just like, no, um, the, the gravitational force that says, I don't, she's not losing that last five pounds. Now, one of the things I, that that self might say, and besides, she doesn't deserve nice attention. Mm-hmm. So I have found that there are certain selves that revolve around unknown until they're discovered core negative beliefs, which that a client has, which are isolated to one or two. There's not tons of them. They're very painful, simple things like I am unlovable. I am worthless. Things don't work out. And in these terribly painful, very primitive three or four word descriptions, everything can fall into. And so that's the other part of what I do towards helping people with the final aims. What is the core negative belief that these selves are loyal to? Because I call that the shadow identity. And the idea is that part of the reason the final eighth takes so long is because you are actually leaving your identity, which is your old story. But you have to be in connection with the old story to optimistically move to the new story. So once you discover, say, for example, that there's a part of you that really doesn't believe that you are worthy of love and have somehow turned, have selves believe that losing that last five pounds will literally change your identity to someone who's unworthy of love, to someone who is worthy of love, needs support and i always say that's where the success issues come in they get made fun of oh you have success issues let me get the violin but they're actually quite serious Hmm. so a lot of people who have safely gone along and made a lot of friends with with their shadow identity might lose some friends and i even tell people that friends who meet for coffee and kvetching may not be there when you want to meet for java and joy and those are all parts of the, of the work that I do with clients. I, I'm a believer in optimism, but it's pragmatic. Not, oh, everyone's going to get along. No, they're not. So how can you get along in a way that feels good, connects you to your life purpose, and that you do the best you feel like doing in the world? So my optimism has quite a lot of, uh, you know, New York pragmatism. Yeah, no, I can I can hear that. That's um, I, 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 I knew that already. So it's, it, it, it actually came out as you were saying that, and I'm sure you know this. Um, it came out both in what you were saying and how you were saying it. So it was actually a great um, kind of integration of the, mm. the medium, which would be you in this case, and the message. So that was wonderful. Mm. But what what was really coming together for me as you were speaking there was so, so taking this this commitment to to optimism, um, and that that and you were talking about the old story and the new story. One of my favorite writers and, and one of my favorite quotes from her, Mary Catherine Bateson, um, and she speaks about the value of having multiple stories of your life, mm-hmm. not you know true and false ones, but various versions that serve you better in various contexts. 
And then the sentence that I love, and you're really saying this in other words, is that the story you tell affects what you can do next. So I want to put the, you know, the follow-up to that is, so why not pick an optimistic one? And in the language that we speak at Teleosis Institute, not only there, other people speak it too, is we talk about the move from, a, from, a, from an illness narrative or a loss mm. narrative to a healing narrative. So these are all nuanced language that in my mind's eye or my mind's ear perhaps <laughs> are speaking about the same general trajectory moving into and where the story that serves or heals or that's optimistic and finding skillful ways to do that is that can i add a little something which is i agree completely and that with voice dialogue it is dialoguing but i i'm I also, if I'm not limited to dialogue. So when I work with a self, I say we have to communicate. So we sometimes literally go to a physical ailment and, and talk, and that ailment okay. talks. And sometimes the communication might just be crying. So when I say, so I, so yes, so we might even say, well, let's go to the stomachache that prevents you from making those follow-up calls. And then when we go there, we don't say, how come you don't let those follow-up calls happen? No, so speak to us. What do, what's going on? What do you care about? What happened? What's your story, actually? That really is what we ask each self. Um, thank you for that clarification. We don't use that language, but I might start to like, well, what's your story? How did you come up? Yeah. And that's, that's, that's wonderful because what you, I mean, my background, as you know, is this integral coaching and it's, it's integrated. It, it, it tries to bring as much of the person into the room or the conversation as possible. And you just named as part of voice dialogue, you know, just reminded us it's not just verbal, but in yeah. fact, it's somatic. There's a body yes. awareness there and we can engage with the body because that, I mean, that's the vehicle, you know, without, without this thing <laughs> there's you know it's holding it all together so um really great that that we're, we're tying in the dialogue with not just words but with emotions with somatic and somatic for, for those folks who maybe haven't used that word too frequently it just means a bodily awareness um, right. a little bit different than kinesthetic but but in the same general area so what I'd love for you to do now, and we have, you know, we're doing pretty well with, with our time, but uh, you sent me some examples, and you've touched on a few of these already, but I want to just name a couple. You sent me some examples of some of what these first seven-eighths mm. like for some people. And that's, I just want to name a couple of the things that you sent, and then um, allow you to unpack the ones that you think have the most juice, if that's a fair way to say it. Love it. So the first seven eighths refer to all that went on before the moment when I felt stuck, which can include struggling um, with difficult habits, but being unsure how to get positive support, discovering your passion, but not knowing how to profit from it, gaining physical and emotional health, but not being any good at maintaining progress, um, committing to a relationship, but not sure how to live peacefully. That one is really intriguing to me. Um, <laughs> raising a family but struggling with all those competing agendas. And then I'll just mention one more. Saying goodbye but not sure what to say hello to. Mm. Um, 
So those are all just, I mean, any one of those could be a several hour conversation, I think. Yes. Um, so would you want to pick one or would you like, like me to pick one? Either way. Uh, what? Yes, you pick one and then I'm sure you'll have a reason for picking it. Maybe I can be helpful to you. Uh-oh. Uh we can I don't turn this into a session. <laughs> I don't want to be that vulnerable in front of all these strangers. We'll see. <laughs> um, well, and I guess an ongoing one which would serve me, but would, um, would serve most people, I think, saying goodbye mm. but not being sure what to say hello to. So that one really, um, not so much from an immediate standpoint, but from a kind of a deep, resonant, historical place, that one has some, uh, some real intrigue for me. So do you want me to more focus on, like if a client came in with that, what I might do? Or is, just so I'm clear, about your question um yeah so yeah let's that's actually great because I, I probably wasn't clear with the question so in terms of helping me and anyone else who's listening how to better understand what we mean by these first seven eighths gotcha so a client comes in um with the issue of, of re is ready to say goodbye or needs to say goodbye to something or someone but is not sure how to say hello or what Perfect. to say hello um, How would you move with that? Perfect. So the so I'm gonna so often when if someone has to say goodbye to something, it's often not voluntary. Um, maybe their uh, partner is uh, breaking up with them and they don't want to be broken up with. Okay. Maybe I also call it another aspect of success issues. Maybe you were such a good parent that your children, adult children, are launched and really doing well. Mm -hmm. So I often say people come to me because, because there's been an ending and, and not because they've somehow failed. That's the other thing, and that's an optimistic look. Sometimes people have said, I failed at these th this thing over and over. So that could be the seven-eighths. Okay, once again, here I am trying to do X, and, and I always honor, well, if you keep trying to do X, that means it still has juice for you. Let's see what's going on. Maybe your seven eighths is, let's see what would X could be. Um, you know, I'm trying to get in shape. And so, you know, you got close maybe when you were 15 and again at 25 and now you're 32 and you're trying again and you feel like I've done this before and I don't understand why I get this close and not further. And so that the seven eighths could be anything you've learned between the first time you tried it and now. And it could, you know, it's your failures, it's your triumphs, it's, it's um, maybe you went to Weight Watchers the first time and you really learned a lot of skills there, but you didn't find it helpful overall, but it was, but, but you're still using some of those tools. So that's the other aspect of 7 Ace is that you're probably using still a lot of what you learned and I'm like, continue. You're not, some new clients I say, you're not starting at zero. You're starting at zero with me. I'm just meeting you. But believe me, I'm going to help you pick up where you are in your journey. I don't want you to throw out any of the wisdom you've gained. So the seven eighths is the wisdom you've gained, both maybe hard earned and otherwise. So in terms of saying goodbye, we're often forced to say goodbye. You know, you are more healthy and now you have a, a chronic illness. You have, you're saying goodbye to your old state and you miss it. So a lot of that is some grief work like like it's it, it could be minor I used to be able to wear high heels and now I'm older and my feet hurt and I can't now 
a lot of times people say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm so superficial with this. So that's a self. We talk to that self, the one that judges superficiality. But from my optimistic voice dialogue point of view, there's nothing superficial. It's where it plays out. So if someone is weeping because there's an issue about mauve lipstick not being on sale at Dwayne Reed anymore, I could make fun of that, but I don't. I'm like, all right, that's got meaning for you. Talk about story. I want to hear more. So a lot of times saying goodbye is not always a choice, and, but, you, but you, it's over. You must say goodbye, and it could be a success. You have graduated with your bachelor's. Now what? I work with a lot of recent graduates, and I say, well, you're here because of success. Good for you. You graduated. That's an end, though. You're not a student. Now you're moving into being a young professional. And so then we talk about, we go to different selves. What seems good? And I always go to the self. What's your wildest dreams? Skip pragmatism. So we go to that self. Oh, I want to learn flying. All right. Tell me more. And then we go back to center. Maybe there's a way that they've discounted something that they can actually put in their life. And that feels so good to me. Talk about expansive, like, wow, you know, I'm not going to be a pilot, but I could take some flying lessons, you know, that kind of thing. And the other thing, one of my early careers was, was being a, a, an aerobic instructor and fitness trainer. And that was, I watched this woman lose tons of weight and get stronger. She came to the gym every day. She was in a terrible domestic violence situation. I watched as she lost that weight, she changed her life. She divorced the man who used to beat her, and then she started her own business. Now, that sounds like, you know, stuff you hear, oh, but I saw it happen. So when you gain mastery in one part of your life, that could be the seven-eighths, I help you move it to the final eight and get in touch with that core negative belief, that shadow identity you're not aware of that's helping you stay back there in the old story. And the final eighth is literally a transformed identity. And then back to the first eighth because life is a journey. And then we start another story and it's wonderful. Yes. So I love the ending there that, you know, that the, the final eighth, in fact, is a transformation of identity, a new identity. Um, and then, and this is, <laughs> it's perfect. And then it's back to the first eighth, because in fact, um, the, the eighths keep coming until we take our last breath. And I, I don't know enough about what happens after that last breath, so I won't project anything in, no. on there. But that it's, it's an ongoing cycle. You don't finish. And I like to joke that's both the good news and the bad news of, of our life is that um, it, it just keeps coming. And, exactly. But it's, it's actually, in this conversation, it's definitely all good news. So it's, uh, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so that actually, I just want to share something because that just reminded me, there were two stories that came up in terms of, of eighths for me. And the, the one that's uh, probably the more public one is that in 2003, after I was pretty, I still am pretty mm -hmm. athletic. I had my hips replaced in 2003, both of them uh, at the same time. And um, I was a pretty good, the thing I did best athletically was a middle distance runner, a mm -hmm. middle and long distance running. And while I could have continued running afterwards, I decided not to make hip replacements, you know, and every other, every decade event in my life. So I found less intrusive ways to stay fit. Um, and 
that event, that particular goodbye for me, yeah, allowed me to gradually um, say hello to things like uh, yoga, mm. um, tai chi, uh, qigong, um, things that I'm still really a novice at, but gentler ways of being in my body rather than pounding um, the pavement uh, for however, you know, 30 miles a week, whatever it might have been. So, I, so I, again, that's a really kind of gross level um, physical example. But for me, uh, running was probably my first meditation, although I didn't know it in my 20s. Right. But what it brought me in terms of endorphins and, and how I felt and where my mind would go, it yeah. was really my first meditation. And now I'm learning how to do that both. Well, I've been sitting for over 20 years. But so, so that's a great, you know, I, um, you've given me some language mm. around which to hold that particular goodbye and this, well, I would say this still unfolding hellos. Right. Follow it, yeah. And also it wasn't your choice. Like, yeah, it, and again, back to shadow being included, you were in so much pain. Yeah. And so what I'm talking about when I say optimism includes shadow, like that pain gave you the message like, Things must change or you will feel even worse. And that's really hard. And I'm sure you went through so many emotions about it. And that's, I always say all emotions welcome where I am because we're, you, I like how you said we're talking sort of on a, a gross level, but really it's so deep and full of emotions and that's part of it. But that's also what makes us intelligent and life interesting. So, and I, I used that example because I, I think that um, one of the biases that I've found we have as a culture, and this is not going off on a tangent, really, I think it's really relevant, is that people are, um, most of us, especially when we're not working professionally, have more compassion and sympathy um, for a physiologically diagnosed issue of arthritis in the hips, broken arm, cancer, or whatever, and significantly less understanding of and compassion for um, someone who's stuck in an emotional or mental way. Absolutely. And and I, so I, I think that that's uh, that's a, a big deal, and, and and I think it's really important that where with coaching or with therapy. Um, to be able to recognize that difference because that bias I think is really, really very strong and we don't get impatient so much when someone has cancer or is diagnosed with ALS or heart disease, but we might get patient when someone who's struggling, get impatient rather, with someone who's struggling emotionally um, or with some cognitive uh, disability. Yeah. yeah um, and I think that's one of the, in the voice dialogue community, it's really um, one of our ethical things is that we need to keep always getting our own work. So a lot of that judgment about emotions and being stuck in a, in a mindset is because people fear it in themselves and they don't want it around because they don't want it for themselves and they don't want to see it. And so the more work say when that I do that I'm comfortable when I get stuck in a mindset and by comfortable I mean I can tolerate the distress of of how much pain I'm in so let me just be clear it's not comfortable it's all good it's like wow it's really bad all right compassion for myself 
So that's one thing. But then we, when I work with a client, I also say, let's talk to the part of you that judges you because that part that you're talking about, the world judging, you also have it inside. That's like, I should be over this by now. And then we talk to that self. And um, in classic voice dialogue, when a subpersonality comes out, they use the third person so that they talk about Bridget. So that it's very, that's the other way you can feel more separate. Like, oh, I'm not all the inner critic. That's just a part of me. So it could be the inner critic, you know, Bridget needs to get over this. Bridget just wallows in her emotions. And again, I want to facilitate a critic or, or somebody that's like angry about the mindset, emotional or cognitive. I listen. Well, so tell me more. And that's one of my big, tell me more. Um, and so then we of course go to the other side, which is the emotional stuck part or the, the mindset stuck part. So what's going on? And I just listen because I'm not about to change his mind. I need to know more. It's not my job. And then we come back to center and we, we figure it out from center. We have more information. But you're right. You have to end, including talking about the bias against emotional stuckness and mindset stuckness. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. And so just, just to clarify the language, I know you've used this several times throughout. And I, I meant to ask this earlier, but just to, I'll ask it now. So when you say um, coming back to center, you're speaking about to, the, to actually the, the, the integrated, fully functioning human being who's the yes. is the center. Exactly. So in a classic voice dialogue session, you literally go to another part of the room when you're as the subpersonality, again, just to help the separation. Yeah. And then, yes, in, then you come back to center. By that, I mean, you're now your you're integrated self, so you have access to the energy of the inner critic or the party girl. Yeah, great. So, so this is... Um, you know, I'm looking at our time now. We're, we're you know, we're winding down a bit. Um, so I just, I want to just say the title of, mm -hmm. uh, and the working subtitle of the book and this talk one more time out loud, and then ask you one more question to, to begin bringing this to a close. So here's, here's what we've been talking about. Um, who's stopping you? How your hidden inner selves hijack happiness and sabotage success, and how to transform them into powerful allies. And we've spoken a bit about the, you know, the wonderful perspective of, uh, of Colin Wilson, um, who asked why not choose optimism over pessimism, and which uh, you know, I've heard you speak to on numerous occasions in the past, you know, to live as if any moment, you can, in, in, in any moment, you can get absurd good news, which I, I think that's, a, that's great, but I think absurd makes it even better. Oh. Yeah. It's the clincher word. <laughs> um, so, so with with that, you know, that overarching title, and then the idea of optimism and, and living as though in any moment I can get absurd good news. Um, and I don't, I don't believe in like you know the five steps that will solve your life or the one thing you need to remember. I, to me, that's very very hyperbolic language. But I but I do believe in leaving people with something that you know might be worth remembering. So, you know, uh, what is it you'd love for um, viewers and or listeners of this conversation to come away with if they could remember just one or two things? Um, you know, what would be important from your perspective um, that folks came away with? If, I, let's say stuck, folks. If you're stuck, remember that there's more internally 
than you are in touch with right now. And so even if you can't get in touch with it in a particular moment because you're feeling stuck, just wait. Get support because it's there and you're just feeling cut off from it. Not it doesn't exist. It exists and it's there for you. Okay, great. So there's, there's more going on. There's more to you inside than you know. Um, and if you can be with that in a, in a patient, healthy way and, and get help, that, that there is resolution um, and a new story awaiting. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Beautiful. Thanks, Bridget. Thanks, so, Reggie. Yeah. It's been really, really great to, to connect um, uh, with you in this way. We've never actually had, I don't think we've ever had a really formal conversation. It's, no. It's been in town. <laughs> In, in Only countries. informal ones. Yeah, and over meals and on walks and all. So this is really great. Um, thanks so much for, uh, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're very welcome. And on behalf of Chiliosis Institute, um, I'm Reggie Mara, and this is the Future of Health Coaching Summit. I've been speaking with Bridget Dangle Gaspard, um, and we've been speaking about who's really stopping you. Thanks for tuning in and goodbye. <music>